When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, buddy, for the second time in the history of our show, we get to do a show in person. It's I'm excited. Awesome. Yeah. I and, love it. And we're doing it in the house that Julian McKenzie built. I mean, I, I don't think I built this house. Like uh, I, I was walking around campus looking for the statue. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because uh, for context for everyone uh, watching on YouTube on the SDPN channel, uh, we are doing this from a recording studio at Concordia University's journalism program, uh, journalism school. And the name of the building on the Loyola campus uh, for uh, the journalism program is the CJ building for communications and journalism. So technically, we're actually in the house that CJ built. I love that. Love yeah. that energy. And I'm glad as a Ryerson University journalism graduate okay. that I didn't like... <laughs> that I didn't... Uh, I, I'm glad that I didn't like burst into flames when I walked in the building. You know, it's... I don't know if we're able to track this or not, but uh, the uh, so CJ just laughed right now because uh, the, the guy who's producing the show, my good buddy AJ Cordero, uh, just booed loudly when uh, CJ mentioned he was a Ryerson student. I think it's called X University now. Yeah, it's called X University. It's not even called yeah, yeah. Ryerson anymore. Right. But all that to say, like, uh, yeah, you're not getting a lot. I didn't realize. I don't even think there's any rivalry between like Concordia and like Ryerson. We're too busy uh, dealing with McGill anyway. Yeah, there was no. There was no rivalry when I was there. I mean, maybe with Carlton a little bit, but I don't know. I think rivalries are stupid. There's enough. Like, really? Well, because there's enough energy. Like, there's enough abundance in the world for everyone. You know what I mean? It's not like you if you get this, then the other person can't get that. And so, you're anyway. S- you're such a person filled with love, but man. But I'm just I'm saying, all... like, you can go to this school or that school and still end up in the same place. Because, look, at, we're here together. We're working together. That's true. We're doing our thing. That's and, true. And we came from different spots. And so, like, that's that's how it works. So, shout out CJ for being such a humanitarian. <laughs> Just being nice. Uh, now we have to talk about people losing their jobs. It's kind of a bit of a hard segue. But that's essentially what's been that's happening. It's going to be a theme today. It's basically going to be a theme today with two franchises, the Vancouver Canucks and the Philadelphia Flyers. We'll start with the Canucks first because uh, there's a lot to unpack from there. And then we'll get to Alan Vigneault and the, and the Flyers and everyone else who lost their jobs there off of uh, them being relieved of their duties. But the Canucks, uh, just to kind of recap for everybody, GM Jim Benning out of a job, his AGM also relieved of his duties, and head coach uh, Travis Green now replaced by Bruce Boudreau. Before we get into all the nitty-gritty stuff with it, uh, I know you were you got into Montreal like on, on noon on, on Sunday, and all of that news was kind of unfolding late in the night. Like, What was it like for you just trying to get a sense of everything that was happening uh, with the Vancouver Canucks on uh, Sunday? Well, it, look, no one's surprised by this. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we've been waiting for these kind of shoes to drop. And the longer it went on, it did point to me that you were going to get a full house cleaning because, you know, if the GM had the ability to hire a new head coach, you probably would have already done it. And, mm-hmm. you know, certainly 
there was interest at one point when Jim Benning and, and Claude Julien potentially going in there. Anyway, since that didn't happen, it, it, it pointed to a larger sweeping change. And it was, yeah, it was a busy night, um, you know, chasing after everything. Um, you know, it's going to be like, this is like reality TV now, that organization. Like, I mean, I hate it to is. say that. It is. But, you know, like the, I can't think of too many circumstances where an owner hires the head coach, and that's what's happened here, right? Mm-hmm. Like whoever now comes in to run the hockey ops department, and, it, you know, we'll get into this, I'm sure, it might not necessarily just be a GM. There might be a president. I think that they're still – they have an open mind about how they're going to approach these openings. But, you know, they've now just inherited a head coach. And granted, look, he got a two-year deal, so it's it's not a long-term contract. You know, Bruce Boudreaux, it's pretty clear what he is, but it's – man, it's you're trying to plug holes wherever you can, I guess. And, and look, I, I'm not being critical of the decision. I think it, everyone there had to be looking over their heads. Right. Like the players, the coaching staff knew – this was possible. And even Jim Benning, you know, he had a press conference a few weeks ago and said he didn't know about his own job. So um, I actually think this is healthy that it's happened, but where they go from here is, is going to be really interesting. Well, the first piece of news uh, to try to at least get a little bit of a sense of the timeline of how some of the news kind of dropped. Like the first thing that came out, uh, well, your boy Elliot let everybody know that uh, Elliot Friedman is who I'm referencing, of course. Uh, that Elliot doesn't need two names on this show. That's true. We can call him Elliot. Just Our people know Frege. I hope so. Uh, he, ref- he made mention of the fact that Bruce Boudreaux was going to replace Travis Green. I always just think for stuff like that, it's just super weird when a team isn't even able to get out the fact that they're going to fire a guy and they're already announcing their replacement like i i can't imagine travis green i don't know how he would have heard about the news of him being of him being let go but i I can't imagine him feeling too good after essentially the news goes out that your replacement has already been found yeah i don't know for sure though that he didn't know at that point just because it wasn't announced in an orderly fashion i i you know i don't want to suggest that that's the case look when you get fired you never want to hear it no you know, I, I remember Brian Burke used to say, like, when he had tough news to give, he said he always gave it in, like, one sentence. Because he's like, if you give a long explanation, all the person's going to hear is you just got traded to Calgary. And then you're not going to hear all the nice things he said afterwards because you're processing that really big piece of info. And so I, I don't think that they're – I mean, you would certainly – I think the reason teams want to control news isn't even just from, like, it getting out. It's because you want to communicate it privately before it's in the public sphere. And so – um, let's hope that didn't happen. I, I actually don't know in this yeah, case. I don't know either, but I just, I could just imagine, I'm just, I guess I'm more or less imagined that being the case, but I don't know for sure. Either. Well, people found out they've been traded on Twitter. Yes. Um, you know, that it's not, it's not uncommon, I guess, but it's, it's, it's a tricky part of today's media world, to be honest. Like I'm trying to remember the circumstances there. Nazem Kadri, I remember saying that when, when he got traded from Toronto, he had sort of, he, he wished that there was more of a chance for like a face-to-face meeting or something. And, and, but I think the reality is like literally there's a trade call that happens. Yeah. You know, you have to get both teams and the league and the legal lawyers on the phone and, and, and then it's in the world. And, and you know, like there's, there's, I guess you just don't have the time maybe to do it in the in the most humane way possible all the time. And so look, it's a tough business. Like I, I think that's the part, you know, today's show we're talking about a lot of people who lost their jobs Yeah, and those people have partners and potentially children and, like that, those losses are felt through a family. Um, you know, everyone still gets paid for what's on their contracts, but you know, it's it's still not a good day in, in a lot of people's houses or a good night last night. And so, 
Let's not lose sight of that either. That's the nicest way you've I've heard anyone put this whole thing, and, and I know this applies to the Philadelphia Flyers as well, because if you talk to fans in Vancouver over what they've been feeling over their team over the last how many years, this is a long time coming for this franchise. This is a team that... Obviously, they're not off to a good start right now. A fan threw a jersey on the ice over the weekend. There are a lot of people who... I think there's been a few, actually, uh, over the last few weeks. Well, yeah. So we can we can t- mention the Canadians as well and, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, who, funny enough, I completely forgot about the fact that a Leafs jersey was thrown onto the ice this season. This wasn't from some mirage from another year no, or anything really like that. Early on. It did. It, it's so funny how we completely forgot about that. But there are fans in Vancouver who have just been so fed up with the management structure in place that they probably wouldn't even think like, oh, yeah, right. Like Jim Benning and Travis Green are human beings at the end of the day who are no longer going to work for those organizations. And they have families to take care of and whatever. But they've just been so – and I'm not going to act like I'm holier than now because I, I did think that got, those two guys should be out of a job and, and or at least not working with the Vancouver Canucks anymore. Like I, I, I guess I kind of contributed to that. But you do bring up a really good point that we shouldn't lose sight of. Well – and look, in the real world, if we want to call it that, like yeah. not that sports is play, but it kind of is. And we love that about it, right? That's why we work here, because we love it. But it, yeah. it people get fired all the time. It's yeah, just, they do. You're not in the newspaper. You're not on Twitter being talked about when that happens, right? And so I think the public nature of the job is is what's unique here. Uh, there's there's other, I guess, industries where that happens, but it's, it's pretty unique to pro sports. And everything plays out in public. Like... If you're having a bad week at work, like your immediate coworker might notice and say something to you, but like usually it doesn't get too far. But if you're a player and you're having a bad couple of weeks at work, everyone's like, "Why haven't you scored in seven games?" And like, you know, it it's that kind of pressure. I don't think most of us could truly understand, honestly, unless you've had something like that. Like, I our jobs are somewhat front facing, and there's times in my career, especially when I was younger, I maybe put some of that pressure there, but like it's not even remotely close. And, you know, and I get like one-tenth of what they see. Like some people yell at me, your voice, your, your, hey, there's gray in your beard. You know, Stupid whatever. face. Like, yeah, like this, you get some of that, but it's not to anywhere near the level anyway. We're, we're kind of getting you off track You don't have a stupid here. face. Thank you, buddy. It's good to see your face. It's good to see your face. But uh, I'll say that, you know, we, we are getting off track, but it, I, I think that there's probably some relief in this for these guys too. I mean, once you, as I say, this, this built up over a long period of time, like this, that's like the least surprising firing I've seen in a while. Um, I mean, I guess the Bergevin firing, a little, you know, was also not that surprising. We talked about it for weeks before it happened. You know, in, in Philadelphia, you know, it was pretty clear that Alain Vigneault was on the hot seat mm-hmm. and they lost 7-1 to one to Tampa on Sunday. So, you know, it, it it's not surprising he got fired, but I didn't wake up this morning thinking he would be fired. Whereas every day for about three weeks, it's like, okay, What's going on in Vancouver? So. Yeah, that's really true. Um, we'll mention Mark Bergevin a little later on, uh, as it seems as if there are some reports going around with him about oh, a potential. Yes, very much so. I'll, 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 so I'm let's... not sure how interested he is, though. That's a good question. Like, and like, of course, if you're in his shoes, you got, you're listening to everything. Like, he doesn't know. He can't just pick his next GM spot, right? No, like, he doesn't know which teams will be interested. So you you got to go through the process. But I think part of the appeal for him of leaving Montreal was just seeing a different. Like, the NHL is so different from league to city to city to city. Like, the experience of being a player in those cities or being an executive in this case. And if there is a a market that kind of rivals Montreal for nuttiness, it's probably Vancouver. 
Like literally, there's a lot of parallels. Obviously, you don't have the language situation where you have people coming at you in both languages, and, and there's a pretty healthy media presence here in Montreal as a result of that. But Vancouver is a tough market to to work and play in. I mean, it's a beautiful city, but you know they're a passionate fan base, and they've been eating crap for a little while here, basically. Yeah, like um, so. I, I don't know if that's going to be the right fit for him, but I, I think you, they'll explore it anyway. Like the one thing I'll just say about the Vancouver market, and that's just off of what I've been able to notice in the last year or so, just kind of getting to know more people who are from that market. It's just like it's one thing to see passionate fan base, a, fa- a passionate fan base that's so knowledgeable about the teams there. You have fans who go in on some of the media people that are there, right? And and like oh, the, ba- the battles that go it's on, they're media insane. Media versus media going it's on crazy. right now. Crazy. I never knew it was. I mean, we like, maybe to a certain extent that could happen here in Montreal, but like in Vancouver, it's 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 nuts. They're openly media warring, like, yeah, in words in their columns on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, look at and I know a lot of these people. I'm friends with these people. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not, no beef. I'm not picking sides or no. anything because I don't have to. I don't live there every day. I'm not participating in the the zeitgeist around the team so right. much. But like, it's it's a very unique place, man, and I love it. Like, I actually do love it. I'm not saying any of this for the critical eye, but it's it's just. You know, if you're a fan of the Jets and maybe you don't really pay attention much to Vancouver, like it's, or, you know, I'm just saying, if you're listening to this from another media market and not really aware of it, like it's it's a wild place. And, you know, that's why I wonder about the Sedins too. Because like if anyone can maybe calm the waters around that, I mean, that's what they had with Trevor Linden, I think, for a period of time because he was a franchise icon, really respected guy, smart, thoughtful guy. Right. You know, he left obviously at a certain point. I think he kind of maybe saw where some of this was going and wasn't fully on board with the direction of the team. But... You know, the Sedins, I don't know if they're ready to be GMs. I mean, they're clearly going to have more of a role in this new front office than they, they did previously. I mean, but I, I think that they could help calm the market a little bit or, or you're just, you know, who's going to go at them, really? Yeah, they're, they're like practically hockey royalty in that city. Yes, and they're... They're like two of the genuinely nicest people you could ever meet. They're smart, thoughtful, considerate, highly emotionally intelligent, and they had tremendous playing careers, so they, they know the sport. And they've, you know, they've... A lot of Swedes, honestly, moved back to Sweden, former NHL players. Like, like very few Swedes stay here. Like, that they stay in Vancouver. They've made sizable donation to the hospital. Um, they're choosing to raise their families here, obviously. There's some parallels, honestly, with Daniel Alfredson. I think Daniel Alfredson would be a great in a leadership role at the Ottawa Senators. I just don't think that's happening as long as Eugene Melnick owns a team. That makes sense. But to me, the first move whenever Eugene Melnick ceases to own this team is to go and get Daniel Alfredson on board and give him a meaningful role and let him be as involved as he can be. I mean, he's got four sons, I believe, so busy busy life at, at home. But, you know, I think that that would be huge for the Senators organization. I think that Sedins represent that for Vancouver or something similar. And... I don't think it's impossible that we see them as in some sort of GMing type of role with a senior person above them, maybe who's called president or, you know, titles. Titles are important because they're usually attached to the number of zeros on your contract. So, like, the person getting the title cares about the title. Those of us on the outside don't care about the title so much. It's more about the hierarchy. And I think someone more experienced above them and then maybe them doing the day-to-day running of the hockey team might be one of one of the avenues that this could go down. So what about Bruce Boudreaux as the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks? What do you think about him being put in that position? Or do you have any other insight on how long the Canucks might have been looking at him for that job or anything like that? Well, I like the hire, actually. 
I guess you have to ask, like, what do you want out of this? Like, to me, Bruce Boudreaux is a perfect coach to get a, a quick turnaround. You know, he's very player-friendly. You know, he's he's an excellent coach, frankly. If you look at his record, like, what happened in Washington before and after he was there, Anaheim, same thing. Even, you know, Minnesota's come on. Their team's changed a lot since he was there. I don't think that's necessarily – not to take anything away from Dean Evison, but it's not purely coaching necessarily. Right. Um, because, you know, he didn't have Kirill Kaprizov and whatever. So, who, by the way – I watched the game on Saturday. Like, he... Bad boy. Like, Woo. they played a three-on-three overtime with the Leafs. Like, I didn't actually look up his ice time. I felt like they just left him out for, like, minutes at a time. And he was... I don't even know if he got a shot on goal, but he was... Every time you're like, you thought something was going to happen. Like, he's magic. It's great. He's really good. Anyway. I'm, I'm really not focusing well today. It's dude. I'm seeing you. Dude, dude, all the just... feelings are coming out of my heart. It's like... Can't, can't organize the brain when the heart's getting all dude, crazy. You know? Dude, after we record the podcast, we will have the love fest we intend yes. on having. But, uh, yeah, Bruce Boudreaux. So, I think he'll turn their season around to some degree. I just, it's a lost season. And I guess what, you know, what they're saying with this contract for this year and next year is next year they're going to try to be good. I mean, they're supposed to be good this year, right? Yes. Like, this is how they got here. It's not just because they lost a bunch of games. They lost a bunch of games after having a monster summer making, you know, eating some money, buying out a couple players, and the point was to challenge to, to for the division. And they're challenging for the basement right now. So, um, you know, I think that what I sense from this hiring, of course, then is that next year there's a lot riding on next year that they want to be good again. And, and I do think Bruce Boudreaux is the guy to do it. Like, I think another team, I'm sort of surprised he hung out there without a job for so long relatively so long i mean i know he was doing some tv work and the like but just because to me he can be someone to get a good team over the top because um, i think that highly of him i know he hasn't won a stanley cup with a team and you know he's had some playoff disappointments sort of game seven losses and things were you know haunted that team with the ducks but man he's he gets results i think he's a very player-friendly coach i think he i think he's going to do wonders for like elias Pettersson, for example because um, he's going to have them playing way more aggressively and I think they'll be a more dynamic offensive team. And, and yeah, so I, I like the hiring. I just, the fit is a little bit weird because to me, you're almost like, shouldn't you be pulling this thing apart at yeah. studs? But, you know, the owners aren't ready to do that. And it's their team and they're, they very much run it. Like the fingerprints of the ownership is on this team more than some others. You know, some owners are way more passive. Some owners don't even live in the same city their team plays in. They just kind of let it happen, you know, manage from afar. But the Aquilinis are quite involved and, and they want to win. Okay, uh, one other, uh, just still a few other thoughts I have on the Canucks. Um, if Mark Bergevin isn't the GM for Vancouver, any other names we should be looking out for for that job? Scott Mellenby's out there. I could see the fit there. Um, you know, it seems like they're not in a rush for this job. Like, I I think that they're very much, you know, Stan Smeal is the acting GM um, been around the organization a long time, even originally as a player. They have the Sedins there. Like I, I think that they're going to run it by committee this year, is my sense, and maybe wait to see what else happens. I mean, I think Jim Rutherford would make a lot of sense too. Interesting, but he's a good GM. Well, I think he'd be ideal in a president role. You know, he's yeah. in his seventies now. Uh, just couldn't be, couldn't have a better demeanor. Like the man has seen everything. Yes, and. And he's won. Well, yeah, he's he's won a cup in Carolina and two in Pittsburgh. And not a lot of GMs ever win cups in multiple cities where they're the GM. Uh, it's hard to do that. All post lockout 
Stanley Cup wins, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, that's impressive. And he's he's just, he's got a calming influence. Again, he's seen everything, so I think he'd be good to bounce ideas off of for whoever works under him. I know he wants to work. For sure, he wants back in. Um, and so Vancouver makes a ton of sense with him. I just, at this point, I have got no reason to believe that yeah, I don't think that they're, they're not doing interviews yet, right? Like, yeah, we, have, we don't know. Remember, we have an opening in Anaheim, like an interim GM, we yep. have an interim GM in Chicago, and no vice president, president above him. So there's openings in two front offices. They're not doing interviews yet. I mean, this is going to be a very wild, I think, off season for front office changes because just the fact you have all those openings, you're going to have some kind of musical chairs going on. I would assume some of the people that fill those jobs are going to be work were today working in a different place. Now you have Mark Bergevin, you know, recently available. Um, you know, John Chaika. That's another name I thought man. about that. Yeah, a lot of people are. I, I brought th- his name up. I do think you know. I'm not sure that he wants to be an NHL GM again. I'm okay. not completely sure of that. You know, I've had people suggest to me they see him. Like I think he might even have grander ambitions. So he wants to be like a president, or maybe you know get involved in other sports too. Oh. I actually think this is where sports are headed. I'm not saying the NHL is there yet, but where, fuck, you're a great soccer executive. Why can't you run an NBA team? So basically, like what Ralph Kruger did. Yeah, but Ralph is a total outlier in the moment. I, I could see more of that happening um, because the skills you need overlap. Like the GM's job isn't necessarily to break down the, the game perfectly. I mean, obviously, that's a skill set a lot of them have. We, you know, with so many GMs that are former players that understand a sport like in their bones because uh, it's all, what they've done their entire lives but I think there's enough evidence in baseball in particular where if you're a manager of people if you're you know on the cutting edge of sports science and analytics and and you know how to run an organization how to chase best practices how to find that extra one percent of um, an advantage or something to tilt things in your favor that, that yeah you might not be able to have to like diagram the perfect power play because you hire a coach who can do that that's it and you know, you hire scouts or people that, that make evaluations on players. And, you know, so I'm hoping out of this, Julian, this is not what at all what you asked, but that we get to a spot where we see maybe some different types of people get these jobs. I just think it would be interesting. I also think it's a clear blind spot that the industry has or the, the sport is dealing with. And I'm not just talking about sex or race or, or anything like that. I, I even just mean people that have come from different places education wise or whatever like like it's yes of course like we should there should be women in the front offices of these teams and it doesn't presently exist right you're seeing that in baseball like again i just think hockey is so far behind so i'm not i'm not i guess i'm saying a lot of change i think there's a chance for a lot of change here because there's a lot of openings and let's let's get after it i mean the fact that a name not to bring montreal in this but like one person whose name i've kind of heard just kind of here and there in line for the Canadian GM job. And I don't even know if they're actually in for an interview on it or how serious they would take her. But Emily Castonguay, the agent for Alexis Lafreniere, is a name that I've heard like, hey, oh, hey, why don't why can't she go for that job? And Elliot mentioned the idea that, well, not just Elliot, but he was referencing the fact that Jeff Gordon mentioned the idea that the Canadians could even possibly hire a player agent. I, I was thinking of her before Elliot mentioned Kent Hughes as an example, and that's also another area where NHL teams could look to go to for GMs, right? And not just some of the other guys who have been around different GMs. You've probably seen the 
the uh, the video going around where these kids are all at like a table and they have these water bottles and they're just kind of shooting them at different people, just like passing them around the table. That's basically what the co- the coaching and GM carousel is like. It's just the same guys getting passed around. So I like the idea of newer bodies and newer people and newer faces being introduced to these teams. So if it works for Vancouver, if it works for Montreal, if it works for Anaheim, that'd be really cool just to see. Well, and you can do it. If you have, especially if you have someone experienced there, right? Like you can hire Jim Rutherford, who is very much a traditional hire, who has worked other places, and then put someone new to to learn under him. Like like that, there's nothing like that would work. And and I think that's maybe what Montreal has a chance to do. I mean, Jeff Gordon is extremely experienced. Uh, you know, he had a long career in Boston in their front office before having a long career in New York before being the GM of the Rangers. Like he's he's been around the sport, and so you know. He's the experienced person now in this scenario. Why not Emily Castonguay? And I haven't asked her. I don't. I don't know if she would even want to do that. I don't know but, either. But you know, if if we're throwing a lot of names around, which especially in the Montreal job we are, I mean, what team is more incentivized to do it than Montreal because think- of the language issue, right? Because they're drawing from a different type of pool anyway. Um, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity in that too. Uh, to 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 take some of these steps into, you know, every team is looking for that 1%, right? Like, and one of the ways you get it is by how you say having people that see the world a little differently, that have different backgrounds, that have a different viewpoint on, on how to handle certain scenarios. And so, you know, the time is coming, like it is inevitable. Yeah. Like, I have no doubt about it. I just don't know if it's going to come in this round of, of hirings, but probably should. I mean, it's already come in, in forms of hockey media, too, in the way that, not to make this into an entire discussion on that, that could be a whole episode in itself, but we're already seeing it in terms of who, the platforms that we're using and, and the way, I mean, the fact that we have a podcast like this is part of that change, too. So it's only inevitable that the teams that we cover and we talk about essentially kind of fall in line and say, hey, you know what, like, you guys have to be adaptive to the new world that we're in, too, so... Yeah, I, I think I'd be really pleasantly surprised and, and happy to see the Vancouver Canucks or the Canadians or anyone else kind of go in a different direction as opposed to just getting like a typical hockey man getting it. But also, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up doing that. Right. Anyway. Um, Four teams right now with like... Pretty, pretty decent making, jobs. Yeah, like that are making significant hires, like either GMs or presidents or whatever. But that's... And I'm not sure that that's the end. Like, I've heard there's still some more out there. Even coaching carousel might be swinging still. Any any names that you're willing to dull out now? No, I'm not going to fire someone before they're fired. Because it's not solid enough information to to really get any one fan base up in a tizzy. But but certainly there's, there's rumors swirling that uh, even after the change in Philadelphia this morning that there, there could be another coaching head coach on the – Hot seat. Perfect segue to the Philadelphia Flyers because I wanted to uh, focus on them. Also, I want to give you props for the fact that instead of just kind of throwing out random names and being sensationalist about it, you were honest and you're just like, hey, like, it's not solid enough information. That's why I really respect doing the show with you because you're not afraid to just be like, yo, I don't have this information. It's not solid out there. So kudos to you for doing that. But I do want to talk about the Philadelphia Flyers and the fact that uh, Alan Vigneault, the head coach over there, out, uh, he is no longer the head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. His assistant, Michel Therrien, uh, again, the, the Montreal the Montreal connections, both those two guys right. once upon a time were Canadians head coaches. Uh, they are no longer part of the Philadelphia Flyers coaching staff. 
Uh, Mike Yo is taking over in the interim, and this comes a couple of days after Chuck Fletcher. I think we briefly mentioned this on last on one of our episodes last week, where he he addressed the state of his team. And this team, as we're recording this podcast right now, is in the midst of an eight game losing streak. So times are not great in Philly. They are not great. Nope. And you know something had to give there. Um, you know this is a pricey one too. I mean, if you, if there's one thing with the Philadelphia Flyers, they're always willing to spend money to get out of a problem. Like they. Gave a monster buyout to Ilya Brzezgalov after giving him a monster contract. Humongous big. Humongous big buyout. Um, I love Briz. Yeah, I, I think he's one of the more fun characters he, we've seen character. in the game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is halfway through a $25 million coaching deal. So, you know, much like the Toronto Maple Leafs had to, to eat Mike Babcock's salary at the time, this, that's what's going on. And, and I think it's, it is a reflection, though, of the, the seat being pretty hot there for everyone. Um, you know, it doesn't sound like they're going to jump right into a big coaching search. You know, to me, Rick Tockett makes so much sense. I yeah. mean, the Flyers, and this is to their credit, actually, they're one of the organization, like it really actually means something to be a Flyer. Like that has, it has like attributes you can attach to it. it has yeah, the feeling. identity. Yeah. And and it and it matters and it's carried through the years and it's carried over lots of different teams and it's carried through times. I mean, they still haven't yet won a Stanley Cup since the 70s. Yeah. Um, but they've been pretty close. You know, they've been in the final a number of times since then and lost. 2010, I think, was the last time they were in the Stanley Cup yeah, final. They were there in 87, too, against Edmonton. Yes. But, you know, anyway, I, I think that so who you hire, if you if that person is qualified and has those ki- types of things, it's a bonus. And Rick Tockett ticks the boxes. I know he's a really well-respected coach. I'm not sure we can look at his time in Arizona and really judge him because – you know, a lot of different things going on there during his years. And... Can we go into more detail on why Rick Tockett is a good coach? Because I always, tr- I was always confused as to why he was getting these opportunities in different markets, right? Because he was in Arizona. He was on the Penguins staff as well. We know his history with the Philadelphia Flyers. I was always confused because it never seemed as if the teams he was a part of. Was he in Tampa? Am I wrong on that? I'm trying to remember. Maybe I forgot. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. But, so, also, but still, like, I'm just curious, like, why does he get these opportunities? Well, what I've heard is he's just an excellent communicator with players, probably because of his background as a player, um, and that he can really, you know, I know in Pittsburgh he got a lot of credit for dealing with Phil Kessel, and you know Phil is a bit of a complicated guy. I actually really like Phil. I you know I dealt with him in Toronto for years, and and I, I came to not just appreciate what he does on the ice, but to understand him a little better. But you know he's he's got a for lack of a better term, he's got to be managed a little bit, right? And and that sure. was that was a big thing Rick Tockett did. And, f- and the reason the Penguins won the first Stanley Cup in 2016 was because they had three dynamic stor- scoring lines. And the reason they had three dynamic scoring lines is because Phil Kessel was awesome. Yes. Uh, along with Hagelin and Benino. Benino, 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 And so, you know, I think he deserves credit for that then, that the coach that helped keep Phil in the right places and the right frame of mind – you know, I think he worked with him a lot. And so he is a good – look, he went way down the road to Seattle. Yeah. Like he had three or four interviews in Seattle, which is – usually if you're getting the third or the fourth interview, it's because you're getting the job. Um, and so – and Seattle had 18 months to look at the whole crop, to, to consider all kinds of options. I mean, I know he's a hockey man, as you're saying, but I, I do think that there's a lot there to like. And so – as I say with Arizona, like look at the teams he was coaching and just it's not it hasn't been a stable environment. I actually believe they have a plan to try to make it a stable environment now, but you know, there's there's some things beyond their control uh at the moment. Uh but 
you know, I think talking makes tons of sense for Philly, but I don't know if they're going to go there because it sounds like Mike Yo is like, it's it's weird. They sort of announced it like he's coaching tonight's game, like as though we have no other choice. But yeah. then, you know, from more digging, it you know, it does sound like th- there's not a real rush here to go hire another replacement and they might just kind of see how it goes for a time. By the way, I'll say this about Rick Tockett. It's not to denigrate his qualifications at all. I'm just genuinely curious because just from an outsider's perspective, it seems any market that I've seen him coach in, the team was not necessarily successful. And that's not me trying to dump on him. I'm generally well, he did I'm win generally, the Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh. Yes, in Pittsburgh, yes, as an assistant, not as a head okay, coach. But he was he was part of the staff, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he deserves that credit. Like, I just, I'm just we curious. We don't get to see on a daily basis what all the assistant coaches do, but like no. they're contributing. Like they all have specific jobs, and no team wins the cup without everyone pulling the rope, man. That is true. So you know, I, I, I that's why the that's why he got the opportunity in Arizona because it went so well in Pittsburgh, and then they shook shook hands, and he went his separate ways. But he'll be back, and and it wouldn't surprise me if it ends up being with the Flyers. It's just the timing's interesting, and look, he's on. I'm loving the TNT broadcast. Yeah, like, seriously, I think he, he fits there. Like they are killing it, and that's not. That I'm not subtweeting anyone by saying like someone else isn't killing it, but I just find every time I see like one of their segments or like even the interviews they've done, like they just they're finding like a unique a sweet spot there, and and they're kind of goofy, but not for goofy's sake, and they're they're relaxing the players. Like I don't know if you saw the one they did with Austin Matthews; he was mic'd up in warm up, right. And they're at, and I think it was Rick Tockett asked him what's his three favorite restaurants in Scottsdale, and Matthews is like whipping around the offensive zone. He's laughing, <laughs> yeah. And then he listed three restaurants. It was really good. It was awesome, and I'm like, I just I I hope that they spur more of that in the end. Like I I think it's been great content. They had an interview with Sidney Crosby too. I don't know if you saw that one. Uh, I haven't seen that one. No. You know, Sid's been interviewed roughly one billion times. Yeah, and how many interviews can you look at and be like, okay, they were so great. Well, no, look, I'm not being critical, Sid, but like they brought out some personality in them. They had them tell them stories. Anyway, uh, so if Rick Tockett stays on the TNT broadcast for a little while, I'm fine with that too because I, I really like what they're doing. What I was going to say is uh, TNT probably has is probably thinking of what they do on the NBA side where they keep everyone loose and funny and they have the characters that they have, not to mention they had Charles Barkley on a broadcast too. So that's probably what they're thinking. While ESPN, they can afford to be a little bit more like stoic and, yeah. you know, not necessarily void of personality because they definitely have personalities, but TNT, I think, is probably just trying to follow the blueprint that they set with the NBA. And if Rick Tockett fits in that, that's fine. But they don't take themselves too seriously. Like, that's, that's it. That's what I like. And, you know, we need more of that. We do need more of that. It's a long season, man. Yes. Like, not every game can be built up as this major game. Like, some games are just games, but there's still compelling reasons to want to watch and to see what, you know, the personalities in those games. I mean, Kudos. Like, I, I I, am really impressed. I, I'm not watching every broadcast. I live up here in Canada. I'm busy. I'm at the rink a lot of nights myself. But whenever I can catch one of their broadcasts, like, I'm doing it and then seeing the segments on my Twitter feed after. Let me segue over to uh, – I made mention of this when we were talking about the Canucks, uh, but it also happened in Montreal, too. The fact that there was this jersey-throwing mini-epidemic over two Canadian markets, and, yes, it happened with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I completely forgot about that. What's your thoughts on, on on fans doing that? Like I, I was talking about it with Justin Cuthbert on the I Was Worth Talking podcast earlier this week, and he was saying that as ridiculous as it could be, it could kind of serve as a form of protest for the fan to really just show that you know what they've had enough with this team. And you could argue in the case of the Vancouver Canucks, at least, that the method of protest was effective. Literally, like after that game, Travis Green and Jim Benning no longer with the organization. Well, because ownership can't ignore that. Yeah. 
like sports teams are a public trust, right? And when you start losing the public's trust, I mean, these are businesses. That's true. And if people are willing to spend 200 bucks on a jersey and maybe more than that to get in the game and walk down to the ice and throw it on the ice, like it is a pretty powerful statement because you're just setting money on fire. And so, yeah, I'm not going to encourage people to do that, but I, I think it does. I think it makes a point and, and it's a pretty strong one. And if you're a fan, what else can you do? I mean, you can go on Twitter and yell. That's like, that's what seems like a lot of people do. Vent your frustrations. Yeah, a lot. Um, you can boo in the building. You can chant fire so-and-so. Fire and brimstone. I know, like, you know, fire McKenzie, fire oh, Johnston. <laughs> uh, Those guys are bums. But, you know, you're, you're sort of limited in the ways you can try to strike back. And so I, I don't mind. I think I, I do think it makes a point. And I don't know if you remember, this was a while ago, but one time someone threw an Eggo waffle I remember. I remember. And Colby Armstrong, who's now become a buddy of mine, was on the lease at the time, and he had a quote in the paper, and he's like, "Get off your wallet and throw a steak if you really want to like, <laughs> like spend some money and really make a point if you're gonna." Which I thought was a funny hockey player chirp, but uh, <laughs> that's really funny. Strange though. times. It's really strange. Do, do you know how weird that was? Ego ended up putting out like a press release statement saying they had like <laughs> they had nothing to do with it, like they didn't support it. <laughs> dude, that's so weird. Uh, dude, I just want to talk about the Thursday night game because I because I took the photo for of the of the uh, kid age jersey that flew off the ice. Yeah, like I was shocked because I had never seen that like in person. Oh. I thought I like I literally saw the jersey like float to the ice and I literally yelled out like, "Oh my god!" Like that's not something that happens. I've never. I mean, it's happened in Montreal apparently, but I've never seen that. I was shocked. Well, I'm long past my jersey wearing years. Yes, and for any sport. Wait, really? Oh, yeah. So you don't wear, like, so, like, obviously, well, wait. I don't so wear if, a Cowboys jersey, for example. You don't wear a Blue Jays jersey? No, I wear a hat. Really? I'm an I'm a adult. Oh, whoa, okay, okay, okay. So this brings up a whole other discussion here. So when did you stop wearing jerseys of the teams that you like? 20 years ago, probably. What? You stopped 20 years ago? Yeah, basically my teenage years was probably the end of it. What? I was at... I, was, I, I was, do have a I have a Tony Romo jersey, so I and I I didn't wear that a lot, <laughs> but that was in my twenties for sure. What? Okay, but I would like wear that to like if Pierre LeBron, you know, he's another big Cowboys fan. Like if I was going to his living room to watch a game, I might wear it. Like I didn't really wear it in public. Um, that's funny. But yeah. Anyway, do you remember the feeling though of getting a jersey? I mean, like when I, you were a I, kid, yeah, or, I mean, and maybe still today, but yeah. like, like it's a pretty special thing. It's I, not even I just the it. money. There's just something. It's like it's tying you to something. Anyway, my point is to, to ever think of getting that and then throwing it away. It's just it's hard to. That's why it's a big deal. Like it's hard to imagine that. I'm still cackling. You be like, I'm an adult. I don't well, wear jerseys. I don't do that, Julian. <laughs> I don't do that at all. No. Although um, I did have a Tony Romo jersey, confession. which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, I don't have. Uh, I love it too. The white. I oh. I love the white Cowboys jerseys. I'm just. I'm not going to say anything because the t- the NFL team I support. Just, you know what? I'm not. They were, gonna, they've been taken out of the league. Last I heard. Okay, I'm not going to make myself more upset than I already am. I wish I had the uh, the patented grab bag with me yeah. because there are a few other things that kind of happened over in the last little while that uh, I think we can kind of just do some quick hits on. All right. Uh, Insert the jingle. Let's uh, yeah. Whatever the uh, the grab bag jingle will be here. We'll we'll come up with something. I'm sure someone. I'm sure somewhere either on Discord or uh, in our respective DMs will probably hit us up with potential music ideas. Love it. Yeah. Um, so I just want 
just a really quick thought on each of some of these different topics that have come up. So uh, earlier today in Montreal, uh, Dominic Ducharme saying that uh, it's very unlikely that uh, we'll see Carey Price uh, in Montreal playing up until, uh, well, doesn't seem as if we're going to see him before Christmas. You don't have to tell me like, oh, where do you think he's going to come back? Because I think it's fruitless to kind of debate that. But just your thoughts on the fact that Carey Price still is not ready to play for the Montreal Canadiens. Well, I can't help but think of it in Team Canada terms. Yes. That's like my first thought, and that's no disrespect to Montreal, but the season ain't going anywhere for the Habs. No, it's not. I would say, Kerry, take your time from a Canadian standpoint. I mean, you say that anyway, given the serious nature of why he has been away from the team. But there's no real compelling reason to rush him back. But if you're Doug Armstrong or the Team Canada management, you know, I think if he plays and if he tells you he's okay, you bring him. Like, I'm of that view. I know that's a little unusual because any other debate we have about players, I'm like, well, he had a bad two weeks. I don't know. <laughs> but, but like in this case, I just think with the, some of the uncertainty at the position, everything he's done, what we just saw him do in the playoffs, um, I think you want him there. But, yeah, that's 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 kind of my thinking. It, the, the thing that we forget about Kerry is, you know, he was dealing with, you know, off-season surgery prior to having to, to go into a treatment facility for substance use. So he – he wasn't even cleared to be skating and doing the, the regular activities when he had to, you know, go and deal with the, you know, the other issue. And so, you know, when he came back, he hadn't skated then for another 30 odd days. And so, um, you know, it's going to take some time and, and they, the Canadians have time, but the Canada, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he wants to be there too. I mean, that's, it's a whole other issue. Remember we had Robin Leonard today pulled out of the Olympics uh, for team Sweden. Yep. And, you know, that's because part of going to the Olympics is like you literally get there, surrender your phone, put on a tracking device, can't see your family. If you get COVID, you have to stay there for three weeks, maybe not get paid by your NHL team while you're doing so. Like it's there's big consequences for going. And so maybe we'll see other players fall in Robert Len- Robin Leonard's lead as well. OK, so that's also another topic we could always get into for a future episode. The next one I want to get to in Boston, uh, Tuka Rask uh, participating as an emergency backup goaltender for the Boston Bruins with Linus Allmark out with a non-COVID illness. Do you think he's going to come back to Boston? I feel like it's it's inevitable it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, what I was told by his agent like a week or two ago, the plan is to play and to win. Something along those lines. The plan is to play and to win? Like, meaning, I'd ask him, like, does he, like, does he, where is he at? Because, you know, he had a hip surgery in, this, in the offseason. Yes, he did. So he's been dealing with an extended recovery from that. And I do think, at the time he had that, he wasn't certain for sure if he'd want to play, if he could play, what what have you. And the mindset has switched now to like, yeah, he's coming back, and he's coming back in January probably. And he wants to play for Finland actually in Beijing. Yes, he does. And and so I wouldn't be surprised to see him be back for the Olympics. And I expect it to be Boston. I mean, there's just such a good relationship there. He's been working out their facility. Even he's the e bug today, but he's been in that facility for a number of, of weeks now, skating and using you know the, the resources they have there. Um, it just it makes sense. I know Jeremy Swayman's come on the scene. He's a young goaltender. They sign Allmark, but I think I think you bring Tukaraskin if you can bring Tukaraskin at a number that makes sense cap wise. And, and I'd be surprised if he ended up anywhere else. Were you able to track all of the uh, NHL Department of Player Safety updates with regards to the Leafs and Jets game on Sunday? Because there was a lot that went down in that. Obviously, and I know you watched the game. That was a rodeo. That was very much a rodeo. Jason Spezza as an in-person hearing via Zoom over kneeing uh, Neil Pionk, who need Rasmus Sandin, and he has a hearing for that. And on top of that, Wayne Simmons gets fined 
uh, $2,250, the maximum allowable in the CBA uh, for cross-checking. Yeah. So here's what I can tell you. Sandine, I'm hearing it's about two to three weeks for him that he's out. So that's good news because I... I don't, I don't know where it was coming from, but someone in my Twitter feed was trying to suggest it was much more serious than that. Um, but it, it sounds like they avoided a really serious injury there. And, and Sandine, for those that aren't watching the Leafs, is really having a breakout season. Like, he's been excellent for them. And and so it's it's good news that that isn't a more serious issue because you didn't know. Like, you see him skating off with the help of his teammates. And that's where that game lost all lost the plot because there was no penalty assessed on the play. So then Spezza, you can see him on the bench losing his mind, you know, Jason Spezza is like he's it's unbelievable second oldest forward in the league the impact he's had on the Leafs like like he's not just he's not just a figurehead like he had three points in Minnesota on Saturday night and they came back from a three nothing deficit like um and I do think that there has to be some sticking up for teammates like I'm not an ogre I actually don't mind the fightings out of the game but I do think it's still a very aggressive competitive sport and and Part of that is is defending teammates. It just it went wrong. And like, look, he's gonna. It was a really bad hit that he did. Yes, and I'm not going to defend that. No, and, and it's in person, so we can get six or more games. Like it, and to my knowledge, I don't know that he has any suspension history. Certainly, not, I was trying to find that today. I don't think he has. Not any recent suspension history. No. for sure. I mean, he's had a long career, so there might be something that happened in the 2000s that I've just slipped my mind. When but... you were wearing jerseys. When I was wearing my Tony Romo jersey in the Bruns uh, <laughs> living room. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Watching the defense fail Tony Romo over and over uh, and over again. We're in that time of year, too, where you would normally do that. But anyway, no, we're not talking. No, he didn't fail. It was the defense that always failed him. Chris, this is the Chris Johnston show where we talk about hockey. If you want to talk about the Dallas Cowboys failing in November and December, we can do Wait another episode this of house, that. we talk Cowboys. We talk Bitcoin. We talk whatever. Well, last little I checked, bit of running. last I checked, uh, Concordia, Concordia is my alma mater, not yours. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, you're flexing here, buddy. A little bit here. So right. yeah, let's talk more about Jason Spezza and the lack of his suspension history. Right. Well, look, he's he's gonna get dinged here. I, oh, I, I think he deserves to get dinged. Pionk's gonna get something a little bit less. I know the Jets have an angle on that hit where they feel that it shows you know it's not as bad. Because you know, look at. The game is so fast. Like I think that's the one thing. It's hard to judge intent, right? Like the reason Jason Spezza is going to get hit really hard here is a that was a bad hit, but there's clear intent in that play. He's he's mad on the bench. He comes on the ice, and that happens. You know the problem with Pionk in a sense, like there's no there's nothing that I recall in the play before that that really suggests he was trying to do something dirty to Rasmus Sandin. I think it just a hit that had bad consequences. So intent is always something that the Department of Player Safety is working through. And, and when it's a retaliatory play like it was for Spezza, it's pretty clear what, what he was trying to do. And the last thing, uh, Blake Wheeler also playing his 1,000th NHL game. Uh, that also got lost in all of that as well, among other things that got lost in that game. But uh, you ever dealt with uh, Blake Wheeler? Oh, yeah. Nice guy? Nice guy. He can be edgy in the good way. Okay. Too. I, I actually find him very honest. Okay. Um, but he's not afraid to... In the old days when we could stand face-to-face and, and have more interaction. He's, I miss he's, those days. He's not afraid to stare down a question or to, to if he doesn't like where you're going with it. And I don't have a specific um, – he and I, I don't recall that he and I have ever – I've just seen it with him being around him. Right. Um, but I think he's a really stand-up person and a thousand games, man. It's harder and harder to do that in the league. Like, oh, yeah. Because I was looking up Spezza because he's 38, second oldest forward in the league. Only Joe Thornton is older. Yeah, and you know, I think fourth or fifth oldest player uh, total. Like my point is, there was a time. 
kitties, gather round. Uncle CJ will tell you a story about a time when, like, guys played routinely into 35 or whatever. Uh, and that's just, that really just doesn't happen in the league now. Like, you get to 30, the clock's starting on you unless you're Superman, like Alex Ovechkin, who just scores every game at 36 and just is like, yeah, no big deal. Are you actually an uncle? I'm a many times uncle, yep. Okay, good. Just checking. I uh, have uh, five nieces and nephews oh. on my side and two on the other. Okay, that's cool. So you could literally be like Uncle CJ. Yeah, I don't, I don't, no one's calling me Uncle CJ, but it's funny. Saturday night we were down in Coburg and we took in, they, they did for the first time ever under the lights oh. the Santa Claus parade. And my sister and her two kids were there and the kids were jacked up for the Santa Claus parade. Like that was pretty cool. And then got to wrestle with my nephew Henry afterwards. So oh. that was, that was a, you know, this, all the changes in my life, uh, work-wise, like that's something I could never have done because I was always tied up on a Saturday. So it was actually kind of cool to. I'm trying to appreciate those those moments that I'm getting now because I have a little more flexibility in my schedule. I appreciate that wholesome moment. Let's get to some of these questions from uh, the fans up on Twitter and oh, on Discord as well. This is relevant since it's a hockey podcast, of course. So my my nephew Henry's six. He yes. lives in Ottawa. Big Senators fan. Like okay. Big. Yeah. My dad uh, Ian lives in Coburg and is a big Leafs fan. Papa CJ. Papa. Got the mug from the show. Yes, sir. Um, and Henry loves ragging on the Leafs. And so <laughs> he went to bed on Saturday night when it was 3 nothing wild. And when the wild scored the third goal, he just goes, Papa. <laughs> <laughs> like he just loves giving it to him. And then so the Leafs come back and tie it 3-3. And my dad's like, they better win this game because I'm making him watch the highlights in the morning. Like, he's he's going to understand that he stirred something in the world, but the Leafs end up losing the shootout. Anyway, it's just funny. Like, That's he's a good story. six years old and he's already just gives it to my dad. Like, he hates the Leafs. Uh, and I don't really know. I mean, his dad, my, my brother-in-law, Alex, like, I think he's instilled in him too. He's a Senators fan, goes to a lot of games and stuff. But, like, they just, they, they, they rag on my dad good. That's really good. Uh, the first question I'll ask you for uh, the Ask CJ segment. Thank you to everyone who chimed in on Twitter and on Discord. If you want to take part in the SDPN Discord, go on the SDPN website uh, and click on the Discord logo. That way, oh, at least over 8,300 people uh, are part of that Discord. That's a pretty big community as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate you all very much. This one's from Hannah Mej on Twitter. A question for the pod. When players go on COVID protocol, do they still count against the cap? What if a team is too tight against the cap to call up replacements from the American Hockey League? At what point is an organization officially deemed unable to ice a team? I mean, that's really what it all comes down to. So, yes, players do count on the cap. If, if you want to call it fortunate, and I'm just meaning from a team management standpoint, when Ottawa, for example, had its issue and they had – 10 players, I think, at the, the peak, they, they don't, they're not near the cap ceiling. So they had the ability to keep calling guys up. I mean, obviously they had competitive issues because they're not calling up NHL players in that case or um, quality NHL players. But, you know, if a team that's right against the cap has five or six players, I mean, they're going to have to play short uh, for a game and then you can have emergency recalls. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's always what the, like, I don't know if there's a magic number. I think we've seen teams play with as few as 15 skaters in the cap era due to these kind of issues, not COVID-specific. I think Calgary Flames a few years ago just ran into a crazy amount of injuries and didn't have an ability to do anything about it. Um, so, yes, you, you'll see teams play short because of that. We're seeing a lot of goaltending issues now around the league because are. goalies are getting injured or a couple of goalies have been put on the COVID protocol list. Uh, the e-bugs are not – it's not as rare. It's like every night there's you know someone potentially you know one shot away one heartbeat away from getting in a game uh <laughs> be you david ayers yeah or scott foster 
But so yeah, that's a huge issue right now for teams, and we it's just inevitable we're going to see someone play shorthanded just because there's 16 teams right now that are using LTIR like that are above the cap. From Leafy TV for the next question on Twitter, hey, uh, he, they actually put a uh, crown. Uh, that's for you, King All CJ. Right. Any update on Jeff Carter's middle name? Sorry to keep asking, but you did say you'd find out, and I've been on the edge of my seat since. Love the content from you and Julian. Thank you for the crown. Appreciate it. And I'm sorry. Oh. I, I have not. <laughs> I will I will follow up on this. this I'm going to like put a reminder on my phone, and I'm going to actually figure that out. Okay, we'll figure that out. And like When we do pomp and celebration and all that, when we figure out what in the hell Jeff Carter's middle name is. And I love you people out here just worried about stuff like this. What like, is that? <laughs> like You don't want to just hear about why someone was fired or who's getting traded. You want to know, you want to really dig into the details of this league. Here's something else uh, people have also wanted to know, uh, CJ. This is from Sterling Cooper Draper Price on Discord. Where does Chris get these bear hats he's been wearing for the last few episodes? North Standard Trading Post. Uh, it's a local shop in Toronto. And I believe it's a husband and wife that designed the clothing. They throw the bears on everything. Uh, I love their stuff and love repping local. So hey. you can get it online. All right. It looks like a... They, they got an Instagram. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, like I'm not sponsored by them or anything. I'm just saying... This yeah, is just like literally... I, I buy their stuff because I like it. I got some t-shirts and stuff too. Okay. I got to get me one of those hats because the one you're actually wearing right now, uh, it's been on camera a couple times. I know. I'm it's sure. my favorite hat. I, I know I, I wear it too much, but... Who cares? It's your hat. Well, I'm also in Montreal, and it's like raining and crappy out. It's pretty miserable I weather. I needed a hat today. Yes, yeah. this was not a day to to try to have good hair. I'm gonna get to a few more here while we still have some time. Uh, what is the Olympics' backup plan if the NHL backs out at the 11th hour? No hockey. I can't imagine a plan B Spangler roster uh, if those guys had to go through proper drug testing. This is from Ian McIntosh 14 on Twitter. Ian, there will be hockey. I would be stunned if there wasn't hockey at the Olympics. There'll be hockey in the Olympics. Like basically. Teams uh, submitted, their country submitted the long list of 55 NHL players, but there's a secondary list or a different list with other European-based players who are being drug tested. It's the it's one of the main reasons Canada is sending a team to both the Spangler Cup and I believe the Channel One Cup, it's called, in, in Russia. Um, you know, basically to get a look at these guys, to get them in-house in case they have to be, th- you know, thrown into battle pr- on pretty short notice. And Essentially. So, so there, will be a, there will be a men's Olympic tournament, even if there aren't NHL players there. From Craig CMAX73 on Twitter, when will the NHL go to a 10-minute three-on-three OT? Because the shootout is a horrible way to end a great hockey game. Couldn't agree more. This has come up at the past GM's meetings. I think there's concerns about playing players too much, you know, because only typically, like, your your rotation is maybe six players deep in a three-on-three or, or nine players deep, I guess, for a team, like three changes. Um, but a lot of, you know, you're not playing your whole roster too often in overtime. And so... I think it, it, there's concern about overplaying the top players in that scenario, but I'm, I'm with you. I love three-on-three. Three. Any two teams, if I find they're in three-on-three three and I'm at home, I'm, I'm calling it up because chaos usually is abound. Oh, for sure. Uh, Alrighty, boys, from Bootmaster Ben on Discord. If a movie was ever made about you, which actor would you choose to play you? I have my answer. Who's your answer? Uh, Donald Glover. I don't know if you ever watched Community. I did. Big Donald Glover fan. I would want Donald Glover to play me. Absolutely. And I think it would work. Huh. Yeah. I've never thought about this. Yeah. Really? No. Like, I don't have an answer teed up. Like, I could give Steve Buscemi. You know, the size, maybe the voice, too. 
and he I could totally I totally see you pulling up somewhere with like the backward skateboard. That's, like, that's what I was like, thinking. Hey, like, hey, hey, how do kids? you do, fellow kids? That's how I feel right now in a university. Like I'm like, <laughs> that's true. So maybe that's why that meme like popped into my head because we're we're here at Concordia and that's how I felt walking through the building. No but, shade to Steve though. I think you're a little bit more handsome than Steve. Yeah, I don't know. I want to hear what the the people think. That's fair. Let um, me know on Discord. Who should be playing me? Let me know on Discord. Don't be, let, too, don't be too harsh. Though. Let us know on in the comment section as well uh, who should be playing CJ in the feature film about his life, which is about being a hockey insider, about hockey insider, uh, being positive, going through changes ahead of their 40th birthday. There, there are so many different plot lines you can get to in a movie about Chris Johnston's life. That wasn't just about turning 40, bud. I didn't have a I didn't have a thing about turning forty. I know, but I, it was more about the pandemic giving an opportunity to like put some new habits in. I mean, yes, but also like you know you know how some movies based on certain things that have happened like to kind of mess with some of the plot lines. The pandemic sure. would obviously be in there, but you could also make the big deal about the forty. Okay, I've basically signed up to be the executive producer on the movie on your life. All right, Donald. Donald Glover obviously is the Donald that he's referencing and that's going to do it for uh, this Monday edition of the Chris Johnston show my man that was fun my man that was fun. Uh, every show I do with you is fun, especially when we get to do it in person. Let's go have a beer. Let's go have Just a beer. Just because we can do that. We can never finish a show and have a coffee or a beer, but we can today. You can even devour wings if you so choose. I will abstain from the wings today. That's very fair. I think the place we're going to doesn't even have wings. Any? Do they have wings? I've never gone there for wings. Anyway... Uh, by the way, uh, I got to give a big shout out to AJ Cordero and uh, Concordia University yes, for just allowing us to be able to use the studio. And AJ, if you're wondering, Burgundy Lion, they they have wings, apparently. I've never had wings at Burgundy Lion. But yet that's it. You don't really go for the wings. I'm going for a beer. Okay, well, let's go for some beers. While everyone else at home, thank you so much for watching. Uh, subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page. Subscribe to uh, the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Agent Provocateur coming out on Tuesday. I don't have a guest to spoil, unfortunately. So I guess you're just going to have to watch the podcast just to figure that out. And, of course, uh, the Steve Dangle podcast as well. Oh, there's an announcement coming for the Game Over podcast uh, later this week, hosted by Andrew Berkshire. And uh, I, I think if you like hockey, you'll like this. This I like it. Yeah, he's yep. had a great Greg. Yes, like he's 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 working hard in the corners to line up all the like the best of hockey Twitter, basically. Oh, basically, I I, I just hope. Uh, oh, I almost spoiled something about that. Actually, yeah, just, I'm just gonna stop just... myself from there. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long and peace. The Chris Johnson Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK McKenzie.